We feel bad. Everything sucks. I hate movies. Welcome to Blowback. I'm Brendan James, and this is bonus episode number to be determined. I don't know exactly where this is going to fall in the run yet, but it doesn't really matter because this is going to be a fun one, a lighter one, because we are here with Bill Corbett of Mystery Science Theater, of Rift Tracks, and of uh, and of Blowback now. Um, Bill, how's it going? Good. It's good to be on Team Blowback, Brendan. Yes. Uh, you, you now are officially on a list somewhere in the U.S. <laughs> government's archives. Uh, we have a, a lighter task today because Bill's here that I've been wanting to do. It's sort of a follow-up to last season. Uh, those who listened to season one might remember that we had an episode about Hollywood's stinkers when it came to the Iraq War, the attempts to process the Iraq War, uh, most of them, if not all of them, failures that we that we reviewed. And we thought it'd be fun to do that again uh, for this season. Viva! Viva! We did 20 takes, and that was the best one. So we have three films here today from different eras and of differing skill levels uh, that went into them. But we would be remiss here if we did not make note of the actual record of Cuban films produced after the revolution, the ICAIC, the State Film Institute that came into being after the revolution, produced one of the most impressive cultural legacies um, of that period and, and onto today. It gives the lie to the American trope that communism cannot produce art. I produced lots of good art masterpieces of film, uh, such as Lucia by Umberto Solas. Uh, Memories of Underdevelopment is, is a very uh, prominent one. And some of my personal favorites are these documentary works, these sort of collages uh, by the director Santiago Alvarez. But, you know, we. I have to say, though, Memories of Underdevelopment, if like you were doing like a parody of what a communist country's film <laughs> yeah. like, title would be. Oh, like... yeah, yeah. Very on the nose. But anyway, quite unlike those, those very good pieces of cinema, we're going to be talking about American attempts following the revolution years and decades after to process it, make sense of it, dramatize it. I'll leave the last one unstated for now because. Real heads probably already know. Yeah, they will. But uh, the, the, the first one, which we should just jump right into, is called The Lost City. Not of Z. Pals is being attacked. Time is not on our side. I'm leaving the country. I want you to come with me. Directed by Andy Garcia. Mm -hmm. And Andy Garcia, son of, of Cuban immigrants, um, I believe his father was a lawyer. As we've talked about on the show, this is a very important 
thing in the socioeconomic history of Cuba and how people tend to come down on the revolution. Right. It was a class war. That's what yeah. it was. So uh, it seems remiss not to point out that uh, Garcia's family grew up kind of typical middle-class professional type. As we just mentioned regarding memories of underdevelopment, that did not always mean you left the country, but many did, especially in those early years. And so post-revolution, I believe his family ended up owning and running in the States a very lucrative perfume or fragrance business. Uh, so there's a clue there uh, of how the revolution will be portrayed in this film. Very charitably. Yeah. Um, and this is from 2005. It's worth pointing yes. out. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just, a, just a mere decade and a half ago. Yes. And, and it's, we're going to go in one hint maybe about where we're going from, the, from here to the next two is this is the most recent that mm-hmm. we'll be looking at. We're going in reverse chronological order. Mm-hmm. And I had never heard of it. Had you ever heard of this film? Not a bit, which is surprising. It's it interesting. Larded with some real stars. Well, let's talk about that. Before we get to the plot, there's there's a pretty interesting cast. Um, I will say that Dustin Hoffman, who is billed, is in it for about five minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not really in, 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 in the main cast, but he plays Meyer Lansky, who is definitely a character in our season that you know uh, is interesting to see him portrayed. We have Bill Murray who is a comic relief character uh, yeah. who, who, who lifts you out of the... Does he? Well, Does he? <laughs> he, he's meant to. We'll, we'll see how successful that is. And, and, I, and I do believe that he, yeah, he, he is based on the screenwriter, I think. We'll get to that. Many actors who are Cuban-Americans themselves. You have the great, so there you have the great Stephen Bauer, who's in a lot of stuff. People might know him most recently from Breaking Bad. Don Eladio. He's Don Eladio, where he plays a Mexican uh, cartel uh, drug lord, but I believe he is Cuban. And so in this yeah. film, he plays a, a Batista officer um, who, who gets a raw deal. He gets he does. other Cuban American actors. We have Tomas Milian, Nestor Carbonell, and Enrique Murciano. And much like with Garcia, you can see in this cast, you know, if you go, if you go look them up, you can see from their biographies uh, evidence of socioeconomic factor as a part of this production. So it's interesting seeing that. But then, of course, we have Andy Garcia, the director. And I'll say this, I love Andy Garcia. Yeah. He also did the music for the film, which, you know, interested me as a fellow egomaniac who puts his own music <laughs> in his own work. I, and I enjoyed the music. It was a little generic, but it's nice. Every His character plays piano sometimes, and I, yeah. I think that's probably really him. So we've been a little charitable so far, but now we should probably say the essential trait of this one, I think, is it's just schlock. It's not unwatchable, and compared to later uh, films in this episode, <laughs> we can't say that it's unwatchable because that's not fair. It's just really, really corny. Would you say? I, I would say, yeah. The uh, the cinematography can be beautiful. Some of the uh, cabaret numbers in his club. He's mm-hmm. just a man who wants to make music. That is all that matters. Those nightclub owners in Havana were just trying to bring music to the world and, yeah. and pure, pure, you know, soulful entertainment. Pure love of the art. And yeah, um, yeah there's even a, the, you're introduced to Meyer Lansky, aka Dustin Hoffman, mm-hmm. by him saying, hey, why don't we put a little uh, gambling in there? And he's right. like, no, yes. only the music. The, the weird thing is, it starts off almost threatening to be sort of complex. It's very much a family centered film when they have. Uh, uh, Andy and his two brothers, both of whom are really political, and he's just like, music, 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 I don't care about anything else. Right. Um, and I care about the family, the family, the family. If change is going to come to our country, 
we always put family first. And then their dad is like some kind of professor. Yes, he's like the um, aloof intellectual. He's an intellectual. And he is uh, even at some point like makes a tip of the hat to Gandhi and, you know, Satyagraha. And, but the two, the two brothers are fiery. And one, one is uh, Castro follower and the other one is a just a student revolutionary. Let's jump into it now because you're 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 laying out uh the beginning of the film which is exactly that. It's it's it smacks you right in the face that this is going to be a story about a family. Mm-hmm. And that's how a lot of these sort of historical dramas the, the by the numbers way to do it is let's look at a family and they're torn in different directions. Apply history, see what happens. Yeah, and then <laughs> some will go this way and some will go that way. So that's that's the path they take. That's fine. It's 1957. Uh, in Havana, and Andy Garcia plays Fico. This is we'll probably shift in and out of calling him Fico and Andy Garcia, but that that's who he plays. I plan on just calling him Andy. Garcia, Andy, sorry. you you guys must know each other in show business. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, Holly oh, Weird. God, we've talked all about this movie. Yeah. He's uh, a little embarrassed. But. Okay, he's a nightclub owner whose family is torn about the revolutionary energy that is starting to come to a head in Cuba around this time. As you mentioned, his father is an intellectual. He's for gradual parliamentary change. If we want to change the status quo, we must go about it in a democratic way. And then the brothers, one openly and one more covertly, are revolutionaries. The, the older brother, who's played by Carbonell, he's the picture of the more American-approved revolutionary. He doesn't like Fidel. Yeah. He actually already suspects Fidel is a communist because he's hanging out with folks like right. Guevara and uh, Celia Sanchez. These are names that our, our listeners um, can remember from this season. And Carbonell's group wants democracy. We're no longer associated we have our own ideas for Cuba. pluralism the restoration of the 1940 constitution you know democracy that's what fidel says he wants yeah sure that's what he says but he can't be trusted you think he's a communist so this is where it gets now it's getting turned into kind of sound bitey stuff but mm-hmm. yeah you understand that because it's it's a complex story you have to boil down for people but Murciano, the younger one is the more bratty he's the younger brattier yeah. kid who's an idealist with a very simplistic idea of what happens after a revolution yes a revolution 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 yes i just can't believe it a son of mine that would support the random violence of revolution. I just well, you, you better start believing it. And he's downright bloodthirsty the way he's mouthing off to the the patriarch of, of the family, exactly. Yeah, and uh, and his brother, who's more of a he sort of represents the país, the uh, the you know the farming class. I exactly. guess exactly. Yes, it's yes. A tobacco farmer, and that'll be a scene later on. Oh, won't it? So then, Andy Garcia is as you mentioned. He's just he just wants to run his damn small business. You know. Yeah. Get these big ideas about politics. I'm I'm just a simple man trying to make my way in in, in the universe and as Django and, Fett once said. And, and he loves music I don't think we can emphasize no, yeah, he, that he enough freaking loves a particular instrument uh, which we'll get to he just cannot stop loving that that one sound yep but uh, yeah Serena Garcia plays that guy and and in the beginning there's this scene that again very warmed over Godfather where the young bratty revolutionary is mouthing off and being just disrespectful we're kind of not supposed to like him already seems that way I, I have to say, I took away a slightly different Brendan I mean 
Yeah, he's clearly a hothead, but it feels like this part of the movie is still nodding towards like, yeah, he might have a point. Like, they sure. put some decent arguments in his mouth. You're right. You're lucky you're on the other side of the room. I feel lucky that I'm on the other side of the room because it probably stinks on that side of the room. Please. Yeah, Happy we, anniversary. You are too much. Did Thank I forget you. to say that? Happy yeah. anniversary? Just watch him out. What? Please, You've been watching please, it the please. whole time. Keep watching Everybody it. thinks he's a pain in the ass and, yes. you know... Like Andy is like, how dare you do this in front of the family? That's the it's point like, he, Garcia what? is like, uh, why? I, uh, I hear one more word of disrespect coming out of your mouth. I'm going to deal with it personally. Do you understand me? What? You understand what I just said to you? I understand. You listen to your father when he's speaking to you and you show respect. You want me to come over there? Okay. okay. Huh? I, I, you want me to come over there? Huh? I'll put you through the window, you talk, you know, where do you dad? So, yeah, that that lays the landscape for for the different political threads that this film is going to try to cover. Meanwhile, um, Fico, he's friends with Bill Murray, uh, the writer, I guess his character's name is. That is all you get, the writer. He's a mercurial sort of um, Greek chorus type character, right? I think it is a a really failed device. I mean, yeah, mm-hmm. I think they mean him as a Greek chorus. Um, you could say he's Hemingway-ish or something like that, but he's just Bill Murray. And they basically gave him license to goof around. And yes. it is so at odds with everything around it him. It doesn't really work. Uh, and, and we should mention, I meant to say this earlier, uh, apparently he is supposed to be modeled off of the screenwriter of the film, Guillermo Cabrera Infante. And we should say that... Um, Infante is actually quite a celebrated Cuban author. He uh, was originally participating in the revolution, uh, and then a couple years in, and, and actually in the Cuban Film Institute, but a couple years in, after no- knowing personally Fidel, he was friendly with Fidel, something I haven't done too much research into yeah. why, but he, he, he ended up ditching it and became sort of one of those representations of uh, someone who was once enthusiastic and is now disillusioned because right. nothing good came out of it. And in fact, those who heard our uh, previous episode on a little bit about the Congress for Cultural Freedom and the CIA and U.S. government's attempts to... Um, astroturf literary and artistic fronts against communism. Uh, Infante was one of the contributors to the CIA run uh, magazines in Latin America. So he's the screenwriter of this film. So it's no slouch on a literary level. It's very weird because I guess the guy, I didn't know much about him, honestly. Mm -hmm. He, He has a reputation of being a really accomplished and complex novelist, like a real artist. Yeah. This is a terrible screenplay. This is not him at the top of his game. I mean, not not only structurally, but storytelling wise, but just like moment to moment. It's Andy uh, Garcia having such artistic control. He probably just took it and did what he wanted with it. That's how it works there, you know? Yeah. Because it's hard to imagine some of these lines coming from such a prominent author. What you need is a little evolution, not revolution. Uh, CIA sponsored or not. (laughs) You'd want to do it. A, a little bit slicker and a little bit better. Yeah, a little you know? better. Uh, so anyway, I think the Bill Murray character is kind of a self-portrait uh, from what I uh, glanced at. It is very weird, though, because Bill Murray is every inch the American. There's nothing, you know, and he doesn't really specifically comment in any valuable way. He just farts around. So 
Fico likes Bill Murray's character, who is a roaming, roving novelist or poet or even that guy. is not defined. Yeah, he's, he's, just, he's a writer. writer. Where have you been? Where haven't I been? Federico, remember your appointment, and don't forget your dancing shoes. You're gonna need them. Oh, Rodney, Maestro. Oh, never mind. And then he gets visited by Meyer Lansky, played by Justin Hoffman. And so we're set up to understand, okay, there's some, there's some actually some unsavory elements in this, uh, in this sex and drugs, you know, industry that Anthony Garcia is, is uh, wrapped up in. And that is represented by Lansky. So about 40 minutes in, the, the, the setup is clear. Cuba is a beautiful but troubled island under the thumb of a nasty dictator, uh, who we'll talk about in a second. And uh, different families in Cuba... Uh, specifically in this film, the wealthy families. We don't yeah. really meet anyone who is working class. Not, or a not a bit. No. That might be because they overwhelmingly supported the revolution, yeah. but who knows? So we meet Batista around that time. Yeah. Uh, finally. And he's depicted certainly as a venal, nasty guy. And the film is in its first third. It's very deliberate in showing you how bad things are un- un- under Batista. Although Batista's U.S. connections are, I think, basically unmentioned. I don't remember a bit about them. I was yeah, trying to like, keep, keep, keep an eye out because I thought, well, they're probably going to play it down, but I don't even think they bring it up. No, the closest you get is Meyer Lansky, who just seems like an independent operator, yes. you know, just like traipses through the nightclub. And the mafia, we're told in this, in this first act, when things start to go south, blows up Andy Garcia's girlfriend. Uh, mm-hmm. who's not a very fleshed out character at that point, but we're supposed to care. She's much, much less fleshed out after being blown up. <laughs> then you have Andy Garcia's brother, uh, the, the one who doesn't like Fidel, but is a revolutionary. He dies in what was a real event, a uh, storming of Batista's presidential palace. He's shot down with a bunch of other people. Andy Garcia is racked with sadness and anger over his brother's death, and to a lesser extent, his, his girlfriend's death, which, again, it's a, they should have kind of picked. Now we meet Stephen Bauer, yeah, uh, who's a Batista officer who's friendly with Fico. They went to uh, prep school together or something, something very, uh, you know, upper middle class, I think sure. is what they say. Sure. And this guy is, in reality, would be one of the people hunting down the students and guerrilla fighters, uh, you know, between cocktail parties. But we just see the cocktail party scene here. And he's sympathetic, you know. And Stephen Bauer is a sympathetic actor. He's got a nice smile and he's yeah. a charismatic guy. Charming. Here's the sticking point with a movie with a Hollywood approach like this is you want to tell a story about a big historical event, but you need to tell it through individual arcs and characters. That's, that's, that's the prison of, of, of the medium. Sure. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty tricky to do without making everything kind of trite and boring. So, you know, I, there's these lines at this point where you're starting to, it's very syrupy dialogue. Like his dad tells him there's a, there's a chess move that, that's actually just staying put is the move. Right. Chess. Right. And that's a, convenient way to handle a story where your protagonist isn't actually doing anything. Right. Because Andy Garcia's got to be the passive man who's just caught up in history. Uh, you know, even in, in trying to be nuanced, it, it's it's a weird rallying cry. Just don't do anything. And that'll be smart. Just- I think you're it's you're so on to something with like the point of view you tell it from is all, you know, because of course you can see an individual family that seems more or less decent, just racked by this wave of historical stuff, but they were very comfortable and like they 
as you have said on the podcast and even here, it's like, those were not the people suffering, right. you know? Right. And nobody from that point of view at all is shown in this movie. So, so, so at this point, we are introduced to Che Guevara, uh, at, you know, about a third of the way into the movie. Played by another Cuban-American actor, uh, Jesus Garcia. He was great and in he, this part. But, but it's I interesting, thought. the portrayal of Che, wouldn't you say? He's portrayed more or less as a bloodthirsty thug. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, who savors executing people with, with a smile on his face. Yeah. Like, it is mustache, literal mustache. <laughs> you know, I think there's literally a scene where he says, my philosophy is the ends justify the means. Yep, straight out there. Uh, Multiple times. In an insurrection, the end justifies the means, like I said. The end justifies the means. It's a cartoonish portrayal. Although yeah. I agree with you, the actor—he's got charisma. He's in in a good in a in a better portrayal of that historical figure. He'd yeah, I think that's supposed to be again. Uh, this is what a lot of conservative takes on on that historical event do. Is it's iconoclasm? It's supposed to be like, hey, you guys have had Che on T-shirts for decades. We want to show him as something else. And you, know, one can understand, you know, wanting to bring other aspects into a, a historical sure. person's personality, but it is not historically accurate that Che was like cackling as he was executing people. He was actually a very austere guy. He, he also sneers at our boy Andy for being like a pussy artist, basically. Yes, like, yes. Oh, well, you tinkle the ivories? And he's just like... Yes. Batista leaves. It's kind of abrupt. When Batista is actually uh, overthrown... I kind of thought it would be a, a set piece and it's just like it cuts to him leaving on a plane and then it gets announced at some ball that Andy Garcia's at and Stephen Bauer's like, oh, I got to duck out, you know? Yeah. And then, and then that's it. it and they get to the executing. And then it's just, yeah. And that, that this is the halfway point. Uh, <laughs> then it's newsreel of Fidel rolling through Havana and Batista's guys getting executed. This leads to a scene where, Andy Garcia learns that Stephen Bauer is in the docks, you know, ready to be executed. So he goes to see his younger brother again. And guess what? Now his under his younger brother is sporting a horrible fake beard uh, and is a dyed in the wool castroid. Mm -hmm. And this was the one who we talked about before who was bratty. Yeah. And who didn't seem to really understand what what entails violence, you know, in a revolution. Uh, wouldn't you know it? the scenes in which the revolutionaries are you know, executing these war criminals, which is, as we discussed in the show, what happened, are f presented far, far more brutally uh, than anything that happened in Batista. Are, aren't some of them archival? Like, don't they show real uh, I footage? I don't know if some of that was dressed up at to look like it was okay. old footage, but yeah, there was some, and, you know, yeah. it looks like what you see at that time. But I'm thinking about the Stephen Bauer in a cage with blood yeah. all over his face. Right. Look at Stephen Bauer, like, with teeth missing and his face smeared in gore. Yeah, the wave of savagery. They're, they're definitely going for, like, this is getting worse. So Andy Garcia sits down with Che, and this is the scene you just mentioned, where he's a big meanie who just killed Stephen Bauer. Yeah, and, and it, it, I don't know if we mentioned this, Brendan, but uh, earlier, Stephen Bauer does a solid for Andy Garcia and saves his hothead brother right. from the same cages and then the and then the brother in this moment says, "No, fuck him." You right? Know, yeah. There's no loyalty to fam to family. Not nothing about family anymore. And, and that's sort of what makes the revolution scary to them is that there are principles higher than nepotism. Yeah. Uh, at, at work now, which is always bad. Prep school ties are no longer valid. <laughs> yeah, that's when you know civilization is crumbling. I never killed anybody. No, 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 no. You just like to pull people's eyes out and their teeth and their fingernails and piss on them. So you Saved your life. That was to sell you a favor. That's no. a lie. So then Horror of Horrors, this is, this is great. 
uh, Garcia is rehearsing with his with his nightclub staff, and the revolutionaries burst in almost on cue. That so, someone has like an Aquaman sense that <laughs> freedom is happening. So music <laughs> is being is being played. One, two, three. <laughs> So they all, all these young cadets, the most nasty one is a woman, by the way, you mm-hmm. know, which in one of these other movies, there's a brief portrayal of it's not, not so great. All these ladies are bossing us, us around. No, that, I think that is the exact subtext. Uh, and, and she's very, she's like kind of short and stout and just nasty. Looks, looks like she might be not straight. Possibly not the picture of a, of a traditional woman. No. She bursts in with her cadres and says, we're taking control of how your music gets played. And, and the government owns music now. And then the musicians all shrug and go, we're in the union. That means that the government owns us. What authority do you have to come here and stop my rehearsal? The government gave me the authority. See, you own this beautiful cabaret, but we own the orchestra. Really? Really. If I tell the orchestra not to play, they can't play. Is that so? Fico, we're in the union. They control the union. But I have to take issue with what happens next, which is that the revolutionaries say the saxophone, sir, is banned because <laughs> it's an imperialist instrument. And Garcia flips the fuck out. You just can't use the saxophone in the orchestra anymore. Come again? The saxophone is an instrument of the imperialists. The saxophone was invented by a man named Sax in Belgium. Do you know what the Belgium imperialists are doing in the Congo? They're a bunch of murderers. You don't say. No, I do say. And I am saying that if you want the orchestra to play, then you have to go without the saxophone. Otherwise, I will stop the show. He loves the saxophone. He fucking loves it. And look, I played alto sax in middle school. And the saxophone, not trying to be glib here, you know, it, it, is, a, it is a beautiful instrument that Cubans did wonderful things with in, in their music. But this scene, first of all, on a dramatic level, he's just screaming the word saxophone. And now they're threatening to close down my club because we can't use saxophones in the orchestra. Saxophone! <laughs> saxophone! Here at Blowback Pod... In this episode, we're mostly going off Wikipedia, but we still have a fact checker <laughs> on call, and I wanted to look into this. I said, yeah. or I looked into this with our fact checker, who consulted a musicologist, uh, and they said that there is no evidence that the Cuban government ever banned the saxophone. Uh, there could be some instance from in some club where Infante is drawing from, but the movie wants you to think very obviously that they're banning whole instruments because of their insane revolutionary ideology. But, that struck me as so weird. It, it's very weird, and and this bleeds into other scenes in the film where he yeah. really keeps going on about the saxophone. <laughs> so um, we'll just have like a little uh, yakety sax going throughout this segment. <laughs> so we're in the full socialism is evil section now, and we can we can condense uh, hopefully some of this stuff. But this is where this is actually my favorite scene in the film: the giant plantation. 
that Andy Garcia's uncle owns, which I believe is tobacco. Tobacco, yeah, okay. and you know, making cigars. Right. What happens in this scene, Bill? When when uh, the, when the younger brother, visits yeah, the, the brat, the uh, the fidelista mm-hmm. comes, and um, uncle starts out like he like he he's basically poo pooing the revolution and going yeah. like ah, it's gonna blow over yes. like this the land endures yes. the land in the and. Uh, <laughs> The, the brat basically says, uh, Uncle, I'm here to take over your farm. Or- I'll, I'll take this now. Yeah. And he immediately, the uncle immediately clutches his heart and <laughs> yep. goes, like, goes ape shit. It's like, how good you? Take it easy. Where is your sense of... <laughs> and he literally has a heart attack and dies. Oh, where is your sense of friendly? <laughs> Dies from a heart attack from being asked to, you know, give his plantation to the public sector. Yeah. And the film is at that point, like I said, there's nuance or an attempted nuance is right out the window. It's, that's like it's a bye-bye, yeah. That's like a Ben Shapiro video, <laughs> you know, exactly. where a guy is told, I'm sorry, sir, we're taking your giant plantation that is only meant to enrich <laughs> you while our country needs to develop. And he, it kills him Literally, and the, but but that's not all. Then the, the uh, oh boy, the young revolutionary gets down by his uncle, his beloved uncle, and starts just mewling like a yes. baby, like screaming like yes. a baby. Uncle, all of his principles melt away and, because he realizes he just murdered his uncle. Yeah, and it's like it's a one eighty. And but um, that's not all. That is not all because either. we can skip. There's a little bit more movie. But then what yeah, happens? He eats to the, a gun. Basically, he, he, he kills himself. He kills himself because he feels so guilty about seizing his uncle's gigantic tobacco plantation for the public funds. Yeah. So the revolution has already led to strokes, suicide, um, food rationing, totalitarianism, the banning of the saxophone, most importantly. Most importantly. Uh, So Fico, the guy whose business is, no offense to any uh, nightclub owners out there, but it's certainly in Havana in the 50s. His business is literally swindling people (laughs) and selling them sex and booze. Uh, he is now, of course, deeply disappointed to see that elections have been postponed. Yeah. This is a cause he's always believed in. Right, uh, obviously. Uh, which the movie just doesn't even... It forgets to even make him care about that in this no, fictional world. No, he is like pointedly apolitical he's poli- at the He's apolitical until he's in the middle of the movie. It's just like, there's no elections coming. It's like, there weren't any elections now before. Now this shit. First saxophones, now no elections. Now this. Because uh, he could have voted the saxophone back into, into, into legality. <laughs> right. But you can't do that. Uh, so the dad, who's now on his deathbed because the revolution has immediately... it's breaking his heart. It's breaking his heart. He tearfully urges Fico to go to a place, go somewhere where you can express yourself freely as a nightclub owner, mm-hmm. you know, where you can write your <laughs> polemics. It's a ra- he says, it's the one rainy day that's ever happened. He goes, it never used to be dark at noon. That's right. God it's, himself weighed in on it's the revolution. at noon. Yeah. yeah. Which, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Darkness at it's noon. A, it's Kessler a Kessler book. There's a bunch more sentimental bullshit. Uh, he wants to bring his brother's, his brother his dead brother's girlfriend along with him yeah this has been a whole subplot that's uh, happening in this whole time we've been talking yes you know, basically once uh, his first dead brother he's got two yes uh the student revolutionary is shot his mom starts saying 
Why don't you marry her? She's lonely. Hey, you can Basically. slip in there. Yeah. And they fall in love. Yeah. But she's a dizzy broad who believes in Fidel and the revolution. She so she produce. will not go. But as Garcia attempts to get her to come, I'm, I'm going to America. Come with me. She she goes, no, I don't want to. She goes in some like kind of, you know, state uh, dinner room that's next door. Oh, where the Soviet ambassador is. And she is basically felt up by Che Guevara. Yeah. And the Soviet ambassador. They're like kind of, you know, putting their arms around her waist and tickling her and um garcia violently drags her away uh against her will out of the room and says some bullshit about how there's nothing more important than love and she but she stays behind um causing me to think how much more interesting the film would have been if it was about her life and her decisions yeah basically it is posited that she is uh you know, Castro sees her and likes her. Like, that is a nice piece of ass for the revolution. Yes. And yes. then she kind of falls for it. That's yes. Like- uh, so Fico leaves the country. And this was a really weird and kind of gross scene. We're in the airport. He looks to his side and he sees kids like with their pants down getting searched. What the hell was that? I'm not sure what that's supposed it was to suggest as other hell. than communism leads to pedophilia. Yeah, basically, I think you're Institutionalized. Right. But uh, we get out of Cuba. He gets to New York where he's lonely but free to speak his mind. Uh, again, as a as a nightclub owner, and he listens to the radio, which plays saxophone. By the way, Yay! now that he's in America, freedom and reigns. Here is the classic mythology where a Cuban who leaves the Castro nightmare builds his life up yeah. brick by brick in America, up from nothing. He works in a kitchen, and his new boss says, "Hey, you're too good to work in the kitchen. Uh, let's have you as the piano player." And at this point, you're. I I was beginning to really wait for the movie to be over. I'm like, do do we yeah. need any more of this? I also just want to note that according to the own, the, the, the mythology that the movie is looking to perpetuate, that he's working really hard in the, sh- in, in the kitchen, but that's not what gets him further in life. It's the whims of his boss yeah. saying, Oh, I like uh, piano. You play piano, right? Why don't you go do that? In the mercifully kind of second to last scene, Meyer Lansky shows back up. Yep. And this was a really confusing scene for me. Very confusing. What happens here, Bill? Well, as best as I can tell, um, Dustin Hoffman happens to show up, I think. I don't think he's seeking Andy out. But it's like, hey, we all met each other back then. And it needs to be said, Dustin Hoffman is not terrible as Meyer Lansky, no. but he's, he's, there's just a little smidge of Rain Man there that takes me out of it. He, he's just kind of Dustin Hoffman. He's just, you know, going around and doing that kind of thing, talking through. He basically says, if you ever want to try a club, you know, we could do one here. But he also says, and this is like closing a little plot loop, I did not bomb. Your club. I didn't yeah. kill your girlfriend. I thought this was going to be an epic confrontation where, again, the movie trying to show a little nuance. Hey, well, we know we th- what we think about the revolution, but look at this asshole. Yeah. You're, you were part of the reason things got so bad that we got communism no. or whatever. But he comes in and he says, Oh, that thing that you know, you thought I did blowing up your girlfriend. That actually wasn't me. Yeah. And I, it's not my style is what he says, which is hilarious. The, the mafia is not very the mafia much, style very much his style to aggressively and violently take over other establishments yeah. when they want them. <laughs> uh, and then, and then Andy Garcia is like, Oh, okay. So there is no confrontation. It's a punishing film because it keeps like, it has so many subplots and so many characters goes through so pedals through so many years. And yet it never really has a story except poor Andy. It would have been more interesting if Lansky was the villain of the film. Yeah. And instead the villain of the film, as you just pointed out, is this 
vague caricature of the revolution, which is pretty pretentious. The, the closest they came was Che. Like there was not not a not a redeeming value. And to he's only him. in like two scenes. Yeah, and itself. he's a, he's a dick throughout. Yeah. So at the end of the at the very end, the the dead brothers GF comes into the place. Is that like right after Lansky leaves or pretty much maybe it's, it's maybe it's supposed to be on another day, but she's representing Cuba at the UN again. What a horrible country now with women, women showing up at the UN representing their country's hopes and dreams. It makes your skin crawl. Uh, they have coffee and he says, Cuba is a lost cause and Havana is a lost city. Title, 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 That's the title. Name of the film. It it is a very strange thing that it focuses so much here and there on Havana. Yeah, because it's like, yeah, that's the that's where you grew up, Andy. That's where yeah. the nightclub life was. Right. But again, it just like there's a whole X's other island. out the entirety of the island. Then we have this last scene where, and this made me sad because it's sort of just like a little group plays some music, and Anthony Garcia is on the staircase of some. I guess maybe it's supposed to be his uh, club or something. Yes. Maybe it's, yeah, I don't know. It's a recreation of something. It seemed, and it seemed almost like a 1930s, you know, Zigfield Folly. Exactly. Set, but... And he's kind of tearfully sort of dancing. And yeah. It made me sad because clearly for Andy Garcia, ideology aside, this is a love letter that he really hoped would be um, not only artistically successful, but for him, a message that he could, as a Cuban American, bring to yeah. the American public. Problem is, it's just not a very great movie. And this is this is this was the beefiest of the three. So I think we have a little bit more fun going forward in the, the next <laughs> next couple minutes. But uh the, the the thing is I could see a general idea working in this movie. A nightclub owner quietly watching a revolution happen, almost like the memories of underdevelopment, where he's mm-hmm. a character who himself is kind of a kind of an asshole. He's not really doesn't have a stake in anything, but if you really could make make that work it would be nice but it's this bloated american approach where we meet everyone and see everything or we try to so it can be a godfather-esque sweeping story and it's just bland and unfocused but um yeah ironically enough uh, a better version of this is a cuban film mm-hmm. <laughs> made during the revolution by the revolutionary film institute they tell me you two know the area Cayo de Pinos, the Cape of Fines. I went there often as a child. That was the, you know, the vegetables. Yeah, that was a big plate of spinach. Um, Because it wasn't particularly fun or tasty. (laughs) But I got to say, the next film is the exact opposite of that film in character, in, in style, and in, like, seriousness with which it should be taken, or wants to be taken. We're talking, of course, about 1980s Cuba Crossing. Okay, get it. Get in the car! I'm working on squeezing every human feeling I have out of me. Oh, come on, man. Come on! This was directed by Chuck Workman. Uh, I guess this is an early film of his because he went on to primarily have success as an editor. Mm-hmm. And he directed, in 1986, a sort of montage of great American film that commemorated some Directors Guild thing that went on to win an Academy Award. So the director of Cuba Crossing, which will be amusing to hear in, in just a second, this guy won an Academy... He's an Academy Award winning director, which the Lost Cities director 
and production did not win an Academy Award. Yeah, there. and and this one is a it's uh, you know maybe a stretch to call it a Hollywood product. Right. I think really it's more independent. The first one, uh, uh, Andy Garcia joint was the real as close as you could get to mainstream Hollywood. Yes, this one is like German and distributed by Troma Entertainment. Yes, that this is, is a, a Troma movie. I, I I should say um, when I say the Hollywood approach in this episode, I think you know that includes the attempts of the exploitation genre to right. make a quick buck in with Hollywood tropes. Totally. Uh, but yes, it's a trauma film. I believe it's a West German American co-production. And I don't think it ever played in theaters here, just in Germany. Okay. Well, that, that's really interesting. Uh, yeah. So they're over there thinking like, Oh, this is a, a premier American film. And they're right because the director is an Academy award winner later in his life. To be. Uh, now I don't know about you, but I have to bring up bill. Yes. I got major Mitchell and final justice vibe from moments of this film. Very much so. A lot yeah. of a lot of sleaze and just sort of sloppiness in the whole late 70s, early 80s-ness of it. Yeah, and I don't know, um, Brendan, have you ever seen uh, a movie with Stuart Whitman in it before? Was that guy familiar to you? Uh, I think probably I have, but I can't recall exactly where I saw him. Yeah, he winds up in a lot of like, oh, like even some respectable things in some TV series, uh, but a lot of B movies, like Night of the Lepus. But he had, you know, Stuart Whitman was a good work a day. Like if you needed a kind of a tired, macho guy who's been, seen some shit, yep. you know, he's got a great look. And this also has one of my favorite in it, Robert Vaughn, the man Robert from Vaughn. Uncle. If you want a bloodless uh, creep. Yep. Who sometimes is a hero. Robert Vaughn's your man. Robert Vaughn. Uh, it also has, as the uh, kind of slimy State Department guy, Raymond St. Jacques and Michael Gazzo. Frankie uh, and Frankie Five Angels. I mean, uh, I was in the olive oil business with his father. But that was a long time ago, that's all. Michael Gatso is in this the whole way through. Uh, and for those who don't know, Godfather 2 yeah. uh, probably is his most recognizable performance. Frankie Five Angels, the guy with the voice that can peel paint. I love him in Godfather 2. Yes. But those very qualities, when you just keep stringing him out through a bad script, yep. don't work quite as well. He's, let's just say. It gets a little great It's irritating. Here. I feel like I'm going to have a fucking heart attack. Well, I hope not. Mr. Hunt! My friend, Mr. Hunt, have some coconut. You like coconut? They're over there. Yeah, that one there. That's a good one. I would have given a lot to see just one Joe Don Baker character. <laughs> he could have fit in here. Mitchell, Mitchell to Havana Nice. Spiritually, he had a home yes, here. Yes, he was here. Um, so that's the character of the film. It's very sleazy 70s, although I believe it came out in 1980. And I got to say, I initially thought this was some kind of, for, for the opening message that we'll get to in a second, and I'll play a, a, a clip of it. I thought this was going to be some kind of like Death Wish style right wing commentary, yeah. which which I, I don't know what it is after having seen it, because looking up the director, the cast, and then actually watching the film, Robert Vaughn, who plays the bloodless CIA psycho, he was actually a big Kennedy guy in real life. He was like a very public supporter yeah. before and after the assassination, loved Kennedy. And he plays the character who uh, has a you know a, a chip on his shoulder forever after because Kennedy, as 
the hilarious opening sequence will will tell us for Kennedy abandoning the Bay of Pigs effort. Yeah. So um, I don't uh, know what abandoned the Bay of Pigs. Let them get shot. <laughs> I don't know what the movie's politics are, but to jump into it now, we get a an opening message which I used in the uh, oh god I hope they don't come after me for uh, copyright, but I used in a trailer for Blowback season two. It's a it's an announcer who says assignment killed Castro. A true story is one of the most confusing and frustrating historical events that might have led to a world power showdown. It happened yesterday. It is happening today. It can happen again. Names of persons and places have been changed to protect the individuals who are called upon to aid their country and in so doing, place their lives in jeopardy. I will give my all for the love of my country, right or wrong. G.W. Bell, Chief of Caribbean Operations, Central Intelligence Agency, November 1, 1978. This motion picture is dedicated to all people who desire to live in a free, democratic society. So then we get a hilarious opening montage of Robert Vaughn as this guy on the boat with the, with the exiles. Like, you know, 20 years younger, well, maybe 15 years younger. So there's a pantyhose over the lens. Yeah. And uh, he's getting, his boys are getting slaughtered at the Bay of Pigs uh, in a very low-budget uh, sequence here where they're in a little rowboat yeah. in like some lake probably right. and he uh, and then all the, the cubans are mastering them it's it's being played over a big heady montage of castro celebrating and jfk going ah oh, i am a big pussy i'm yeah. sorry i couldn't get the job done i want to say that there will not be under any conditions an intervention in Cuba by United States Armed Forces. Robert Vaughn's character actually screams And then he uh, yells, where's the fucking air support? And he throws his helmet down. It's like a... Um, it's like a Principal Skinner flashback. It really is. Yeah. It, it is so over the top and hilarious and, and rinky-dink. Where the hell the plane? Where's the yeah. But that sets up the, the his character because he's going to be a vengeance driven man who wants to again finish the job. And then we get a little f- fun tropical song uh, that I actually have had in my head for the week after <laughs> we've watched this. But I have to um, say, Brendan, at this point, I, I was exactly with you. I thought this is going to be a right wing polemic, like right. top to bottom. Yeah. What happens in this earlier setup is Robert Vaughn um, flashing back. He meets up with. Uh, St. Jacques, who plays the uh, conniving, I guess, CIA or State Department. Well, he's in Key West. That's right. where this film takes place. Yeah. And um, we're told that Raymond St. Jacques wants Robert Vaughn to do, to do another Bay of Pigs, basically. Mm-hmm. And he's going to hook him up with Michael Gazzo, who is a mafia-type guy. Yeah, very much so. Um, maybe he is his character re-car- reincarnated <laughs> from Godfather 2. And, and they're going to do, do a second Bay of Pigs. Yeah. We're going to send you back to Cuba. The political situation there is untenable. And some people in very high places would like to see a change in the leadership. Castro? Castro. We're gonna kill that Cuban son of a bitch! (laughs) (laughs) But, so they're gonna do, like, another smaller and therefore more likely to fail version of it? Yeah, and but their their secret weapon is, like, these two sharpshooters, a father and son. Right. You see him training, and... 
It's like, yeah, we got a Hulk with these two guys. It's like, no, you don't. The, They'll get picked off in a boat. At, at like least in the else. Bay of Pigs, they had like two thousand guys. Right. This was this was supposed to be even more of a of an airtight operation because they have two guys, they, but, and they're Americans. And they're Ameri- yeah, That's yeah. true. That's true. Yeah. Uh, we won't yeah. let the Cubans fuck it up this time. It, right. It needs to be said. This is uh, unlike the last movie. This this is point of view American, top Very to much. bottom. Very much. Um, we then meet Tony who is played by Stuart Whitman, Whitman. Whitman, Stuart Whitman. And how would you describe Tony? Ah, man, everybody loves and knows Tony. Everybody knows him. He, and he slept with half the women on the island. He's got, he's got like a crappy uh, bar on the island. Yes. He's a rogue. He's a lovable rogue. Everybody knows him. Hey, hi, Tony. Hey, good morning. Ah, How you doing? That's pretty nice, huh, Tony? Yeah, that's pretty nice, yeah. How soon you forget old friends? Rossellini, why you not a bit to you, right? <laughs> Brendan, you must know this. The alternate title to Cuba Crossing is Sweet Dirty Tony. I know. I was going to bring that up. <laughs> so, yes. I mean, how big of a have a blunder was it not going with that title sweet dirty tony is wouldn't be a cult this would be a cult classic right now if they exactly that. instead we're we're dredging it up from obscurity but he's a boat skipper too he's yes. got like a bar and a boat and a young girlfriend and a kid yes and so he's he gets tapped by michael gatso to to be a part of this operation somehow uh, and then you should be part of this. And accurately, Michael Gatso is saying, you know, if Castro took over Havana nightclubs, yeah. Andy Garcia was running. Yeah, this takes place in you know technically in the same universe as the Lost City. Right. So maybe Andy Garcia's character is you know wrapped up in all in all of this. I stuff want too. you to take these saxophones to Cuba. <laughs> We're gonna overrun him with saxophones. Back. Then I don't understand this character all that much at all. Tracy is a woman who's being put into, I guess, honeypot Tony into being kind of like vulnerable to the CIA operation. So he'll do what they tell him, I guess is the idea. I think you're right. It is very, it gets very murky. It gets very murky and unnecessarily and very exploitation movie quickly because then she gets taken on a date to go to a cockfight and Tony has to rescue her from the cockfight because then it turns into a, and this is when I was like, is this a Death Wish style movie? Because then it gets turned into a wrestling match between two Afro-Cuban men, uh, I believe is what we're supposed to be yeah, seeing. Yeah, in about, you know, t- two by three feet, like people <laughs> yeah. just like surrounding them right up to them. And they're just kicking each other's they're ass. They're kicking each other's asses. They're, they're, they're all oiled up. And this is just it's a just whole... like some sort of jujitsu-y cap- capoeira. Just about... I mean, I was kind of expecting Leo DiCaprio to show up as, you know, from his character in Django. I mean, it was very, very like classic 70s exploitation. Yeah, very much like that scene. And so here's, I mean, that's, that's, that's certainly a flavor, but here's where Tony rescues Lily White Tracy from this scene. Tony is is sees through her act though he's like not convinced he's she, not convinced so it's a it really actually weird makes things worse in yeah. terms of his trust of the cia yeah but they have sex anyway of course oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and he him. tells his his actual girlfriend and her son to leave because he's in the middle of this operation uh and then they get him they, they get kidnapped uh mm. by 
Michael Gasso's goons, yeah. I think. And then Sybil Danning shows up, uh, eye candy from this era, sex symbol of, of the B-movie. She is Michael Gasso's girlfriend. But somewhere in here, Brendan, they, they actually make a run to Cuba, a first run yes, to Cuba. I, I, I have to decide which parts I talk about, <laughs> right. which I don't, because I don't really know what's happening. In the, yeah. like, it's something where they're like testing the, the Cubans right. to Antoni's first mate. His friend Petey, I believe his name yeah. is, who's, who's uh, actually played by, a, I think, a former NFL guy. Okay, I had to, I had to look it up because uh, it wasn't coming to me. Woody Strode. Woody Strode. Tony and Petey and some exiles, they take another run mm-hmm. to plant a bomb or something in Cuba, I believe, and they get shot at by the Cubans, and then Tony throws a grenade, and that blows a Cuban gunboat up, and then Pete is eaten by a shark, and then Tony is sad, and then the scene's over. This was all a setup, I guess, from Raymond St. Jacques, who was trying to kill Tony and I guess also his crewmates, um, even though Robert Vaughn uh, was told about how he wanted to kill Tony and his crewmates, but but he wants the operation to succeed. It is a mess. It, it is such a mess what, of intentions. I don't know what's happening. It's a very badly told story. Because really what you learn ultimately is Raymond St. Jacques uh, is who's straddling the kind of CIA and underworld. Right. Uh, he's trying to play everybody. Yes. He's trying to get uh, relations back with the Cuban government for yes. business purposes. Yes. He, so he, he wants to show that he has helped the kill some Yankees. Exactly. It was all a setup to make it look like there was going to be an operation and then thwart it. And that mm-hmm. will make, uh, oh, this is a great scene where Robert Vaughn flashes in his mind to Jimmy Carter saying something nice to a Cuban delegate right. or something. Like, motherfucker! Yeah, then he has good. another freak out. But it's just like this, in, it's like this impossible to understand, like badly taped dialogue yeah. that I don't know what Carter's saying. For all I know, well, saying, Welcome to dinner, basically. Yeah. Like, motherfucker! <laughs> so HUD, which is Robert Vaughn's character, Robert Vaughn learns that this is all a setup and that this is Carterism. This is soft on communism. Yeah. And so now he's going to, and, and Raymond St. Jock laughs maniacally and literally walks away, laugh like cackling. You use me, Bill. (laughs) So Robert Vaughn is going to, he said, fuck this. I'm going to do my own operation. Yeah. I don't care if the government's. You know how small it was before? It's getting smaller, boys. Exactly. Which means it'll be all the more effective. Exactly. And and I guess at this point, I was like, maybe this isn't right-wing propaganda because that this guy is now clearly just a psychopath he's a maniac and um he's gonna still partner up with michael gatso now michael gatso who is kind of grandfatherly before is now just as robert vaughn is like this is his one friend left is now revealed to be a really horrible person just a maniac who has kidnapped this family and is saying i'm gonna kill you family explicitly saying i would shoot your boy i would shoot your boy in the head your kid don't mean nothing to me I cut his throat. I go over and have breakfast. I'm gonna make myself ten million dollars. <laughs> Uh, Tony is now, I guess, the only remaining protagonist. Uh, yeah. We don't want his family to be horribly, brutally murdered. But he's, you know, got to do this this run for Robert Vaughn, who's now not, he's going rogue. He's not even working for, yeah. for St. Jacques. And they go on the island. Uh, oh, Tracy gets blown up by, this, by the State Department guy. Don't worry, Tracy. I'll take care of it. 
And, and so that, in a way, is trying to say, like, the U.S. government is bad, but it's also they're evil because they're not invading Cuba. It's such a mess. The uh, I should say, though, that they do get a beat on, like, Castro is going to be at this place on this right. beach. This hotel. Like, at this hotel, which is about three feet from the beach and in sniper range. Yes, which he would clearly... <laughs> the Bay of Pigs Part Two happens... And it's a horrible massacre. And HUD actually kind of, Robert Vaughn used these scant troops to kind of make a distraction yeah. where he can go, which I don't know, show me the lie. That, that That's what an American psycho CIA guy would probably do. I got to say that didn't and, ring true. It's like, yeah. you guys get slaughtered on the main beach, which will seem like the main thing. Mean, meanwhile, over they'll here, snipe over Which here. is kind of a, cynic, uh, a synecdoche of what he is, had done to him where his bosses said, oh, we were just using you as a distraction or, right. or a, a, you know, a, a, a pageant. And so then we linger on the dead body. We really linger really on the dead body. Really luxurious. For like uh, five minutes. Bloated, yeah. But again, it's funny because it's, that's, the, that's the fault of Robert Vaughn. Right. Not of the evil CIA uh, uh, overlords. It's, or of the Cubans. Like or they were or, getting or of the Cubans. They were right. defending their island. So uh, then there's some insane whiplash where uh, Robert Vaughn's plan immediately fails and Castro is like smoking a cigar on, on, on the, um, uh, you know, the balcony or whatever. And Robert Vaughn, uh, the sniper doesn't want to do it. The sharpshooter hillbilly uh, father and son. Yeah. Basically say, no, not good timing. Yeah, uh, and then Robert Vaughn wrenches the gun from him and, and says, I'll him. do it. He and kills, kills him. him. He kills him and then immediately shoots and misses. And then and then he's killed. They're riddled with bullets. It yeah. is, it is a, and then all of a sudden it's like, okay, well, is that the movie? But then uh, I, I guess Tony... There's two guys who are going to pick up drugs or something, right. which are working for Michael Gatso. And I guess yes. that's what he was getting out of the CIA, uh, or the ex-CIA Robert Vaughn. Tony uh, gets to where um, Sybil Danning is holding his family hostage. I guess you just Along knows with, where that is. Yeah, with, uh, with Frankie Gatso. Pentangeli. Uh, disco music is pumping. It's mildly inappropriate <laughs> for this scene. But Tony pulls his boat right up to Mafia HQ. Um, the the, uh, the fight is very brief, and um, Michael Gatso is pushed into a man-eating turtle pool. Give me that money. I'll blow your fucking head off. Here's your money. My money. Go get it, Rossellini. Yeah, which and I will say is the one of the few things that they sort of foreshadowed. They set that up. B- very extensively at the beginning. Some random nature guide, I think, was like talking about how these snapping turtles like to eat people. And then there's another scene where I think Gatso said, I can't stress this enough. These turtles eat people. I wouldn't get in there with the turtles. And so then, wouldn't you know it, that's his, that's his, that's his end. Uh, and his entire family watches him die. Um, but the brief, briefcase of drug money also, it also like does. all the filthy lucre gets. We are retroactively explained what that money is. Yeah, right. It's a heroin deal that again you can kind of follow if you're if you're paying attention, which I barely was. And then we end with the final scene where Raymond St. Jacques says, "We love Castro. We want to kiss him." And and he's saying this to reporters. And there's more footage of Fidel looking like a 
like a player, honestly. Yeah. Uh, like in the beginning of the film, which I suppose is supposed to be ironic or maybe not. We don't know what the politics The point of are. view is is just dissolved at and this point. a bizarre ending to a bizarre film, I would yeah, say. Yeah, and, and, uh, and our, our man, uh, Sweet Dirty Tony, gets his family back. Right. The family that he was cheating on yeah, and didn't give a shit much ignoring. about. <laughs> yeah. And, and I also love how uh, Michael Gatso is being quite brutally uh, screaming out for help and his girlfriend goes, Tony, help him. And he's like, no, I don't nah, think so. Let's listen to him die instead. Yeah. Tony, help him. It's too late. And uh, so, I mean, with the, the child right there, the, the like, kid's right there watching yeah. it and hearing it, um, hearing the squeal of this man. Yeah. But uh, yeah, out of all the out of all the characters, Sweet Dirty Tony comes out on top. Sweet Dirty Tony Two was never made. No, really unfortunately. Now, what did you feel uh, about this film versus, say, Lost City? As an experience, as an experience, I thought it was just. I, you know, I clicked into an old gear from all my I'm sure you years did. of, and it's like, all right, this makes no sense. Right. Ultimately, I'm trying to suss it out, but it's like, and now, and now it's funny. Yes. And now it's just silly. And I was thinking, cause you know, as, as a, as a real head with Mystery Science Theater, I'm sure you guys always had to edit the films themselves in order to conform yeah. to the 90 minutes with your theme song and your host almost, segments. Almost always. Almost always. I'm sure there were a couple that were so bad they didn't even <laughs> reach an hour's length. But and usually a film is 90 minutes, and you guys probably had to think, like, it it will literally not affect anything if we take certain scenes out. Exactly. And yeah. I was watching this film and thinking, I'm having some fun, especially compared to Lost City, but there's some scenes here where we could excise absolutely just pure boat travel like oh, things God, like yeah. that and um, then just interminable dialogue about like stuff that doesn't pay off uh, yeah. that's, it's trying to like give you the impress a lot of b movies do it's trying to give you the impression that it's the french connection with a lot of ins and outs and this person's a lot of complexity a lot of complexity but it's just more messy and sloppy it is <laughs> Night train to the end. And now we can come <laughs> to the finale that I'm sure people who know Bill and his uh, his his dark past, his dark past on Mystery Science Theater, um, and then of course the topic of the season. It's the Coleman Francis epic. Red Zone Cuba, folks. And it's a combination of what we watched because it's a very silly movie like uh, Cuba Crossing, a.k.a. D- Sweet Dirty Tony. But it's also a very kind of... It's a slog like uh, The Lost City. And it is it is a fascinating document. Mystery Science Theater has done an episode on this. Mm-hmm. And Bill, this was before your... Well, this was before after I your was time crow. as a writer. Yeah, I was. I wrote, and then they did it, and then I came back as a writer and as the, as the gold guy. 
But yeah, but they, you know, still in the writing room, my colleagues talked in horror about slogging through. They just got their hands on some Coleman Francis movies for a while, and this one is the one that killed them. Oh. You know, aside from the fact that I'll never again experience joy in my life, I don't think Red Zone Cuba had any kind of negative effect on me. Really? Because it is such a depressing slog. Like, there's... There's not a, a single interesting or fun moment. No, it is devoid nothing. of joy, um, reason. There's yeah. nothing in this that is recognizably human. It makes you kind of sick and feel very creepy. Oh, and boy, it does. It has nothing to do, really, with the situation in Cuba. No. In any, although, once again... It's uh, theoretically happening during the Bay of Pigs. Yes. Now, um, this is one of the two... No, this is one of the three movies that Coleman Francis made, I mm-hmm. believe. And all three of them, Mystery Science Theater covered. I believe all three were, again, in the in the Comedy Central era. Uh, yeah. Which, but the legacy of Coleman Francis, uh, there's also The Beast of... Um, Yucca Flats. Of Yucca Flats, which I think is like technically on a technical level as one reviewer put it his worst movie because it's so just stretches of silence and nothing happening on screen at least it had tor johnson but it had tor johnson in it which is a little crossover with the more famously known worst director of all time ed wood ed wood he's a delight really worst film you ever saw well, my next one will be better. It's 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 nihilistic and nasty, yeah. and there's nothing good to look at ever. I'm trying to think of like you know the Ed Wood biopic, Johnny Depp is this go getter, yeah. but then what would the Coleman Francis biopic be? It would be like Ray Winston, maybe oh, yeah. directed by uh, Darren Aronofsky. I know, or but there would be too much art involved too. This well, is like, exactly. Yeah, yeah. This this is the man who has uh, he did Beast of Yucca Flats and he did the Skydivers, which is Skydiver. another interminable film. So real heads know Coleman Francis, and, and this is the only one he starred in. Like he was, he walked through the other movies in smaller exactly. parts. Exactly. This but, is well the the famous director cameo. Who doesn't? Want yeah, to see he, that? he chose to feature his. Big ugly oh, mug. Oh I mean, my he's goodness, real. he's tough to look at. He's dark, curly, as I believe. He is, yes. That There's was the, hit, many mystery hit hard by groups. my colleagues. Yes. Griffin, Cook, and Landis. I believe you were engineer on the train they grabbed that night. Yeah, that's right. There's like an intro. There's there's a disjointed introduction where we see a very good actor, a very you know um, talented man in his old age, John Carradine. John Carradine is in this film. Uh, this is kind of like the Dustin Hoffman drive-by cameo in Lost City. Yeah, it is. It's a puzzling one because he, I think, the whole uh, frame around it is that he's a train conductor uh, <laughs> somewhere in the Southwest, and you're immediately thinking, "South of Red Zone, Cuba? What are yes. we doing in the Southwest?" Yes. Um, but he talks about those guys that came through here that time, and especially uh, Griffin, the the Coleman Francis character, how he was just uh, in, intent on running into hell, and then. <laughs> Craggy, craggy old John Carradine actually does the the famous to Misty's theme song, Night Train to Mundo Fine. Night Train to Mundo Fine. Night Train to the End. Felix and I hypothesize that if you just, well, we, we want this to be picked back up 
and covered in like the next celebrity heal the world <laughs> album, like a Lana Del Rey cover of Night Train to Mundo. I love it with a lot of like reverb. I think that would be amazing to hear. But in this original version, yeah, it's it's a it's a toe tapper. Uh, John Carradine's not really a singer, but uh, it starts the movie. He has character, and I gotta say, it's the happiest, oh, most yeah. lively moment of the film. <laughs> even though it's a, goodbye to it's, any, it's a dirge, but yeah. still. The song literally dies out, <laughs> and we see our two unlikely heroes, Cook and Landis, and I don't know who is who, and I'm just going to have to refer to them as that. I don't know who is Tony Cardoza, Coleman Francis's um, sometime business partner. They're uh, changing a tire. They get harassed by a U.S. state trooper or something. I guess they're ex-cons. Mm-hmm. Coleman Francis, his character, uh, Griffin, yeah, uh, is nearby. Apparently, a criminal on the lam, and he's hiding nearby. He's a bad guy. You, um, yeah, it seems like the whole the highway system is just lousy with ex cons. Yes, at any given can't, moment, can't move for him. These guys are trying to like eat a can of beans, and they seem pretty harmless. Yeah, um, he walks up with a gun immediately, just a menacing character who we don't think of as a protagonist, not at all. And he threatens to shoot them, and then they're like. Hey, buddy. You can have a plate of beans. Have some Relax. beans and sit down. And he like grunts, and then we just have to watch him eat beans for a little bit, <laughs> which is a long scene. And they're perfectly like welcoming and nice to him. And yeah. then, but he is from jump, he is an absolute prick and a dictator and a bully and violent with them. Yes. Which they seem okay with. Well, the police show back up and say, Have you seen this guy, Coleman Francis? He's a bad guy. Yeah. He's worth $5,000 or something. Right. And also, he's 200 pounds, by the way. No, he's three, he's three C's if they're... Any, the, yeah. the, the policeman says that he was 200 pounds. Yeah. And so you're like, all right, he did write this. Then, <laughs> so I guess the, the plot now is that he wants to lead them to go get money for an opportunity they've heard happening to participate in the Bay of Pigs. Bearing in mind that they are in, I think, the Southwest. Arizona, Arizona. I I, I don't know, again. And it's a place where, yeah, and they somehow get a beat on a little jalopy pilot who can't spell. Cherokee uh, Jack. Cherokee Jack with a New York accent. I will be dropping in sound bits, sound bites of all of these characters. Cherokee Jack, uh, you know, I don't want to get too self-referential for you with the Mystery Science Theater part, but Cherokee Jack is a beloved character. He says things like, I'm Cherokee Jack. (laughs) Uh, And that's about it. Yeah, I'm Cherokee Jack. Do you know where they train men to fight down in Cuba? Yeah, I know where they train. He, uh... He gives them a lift via plane to, uh, I don't know where. The place where they are training inside the U.S. Yes. And this is, I think, the, the, uh, the creator of Blowback with me here can say this is sort of ahistorical. And then they get, yeah, then they get to a military training site. But it's like, you know, dad's military fantasy camp. Oh, yeah. At best. It's my Nana's den. Right. <laughs> There's so much bad ADR. Uh, dialogue, that, you know, for those who don't know, dialogue inserted later, every line of dialogue is like a metal clang in another room that yeah. makes you just not want to listen even more. Yeah. You're like, oh, God, who even cares? Some guy comes in and says he's Cuban. His grandparents had a sugar mill. I, I again, I don't really know his whole story because the crickets in the scene are actually mic'd much better than the, yep. the human beings. Something. What do you raise on your ranch, Chastine? Sheep? 
for gold medals. Um, but he's saying like, hey, I'm, uh, he's, he's obviously a part of the mission. He's at the training camp, and I'm going to go and try to get my family's... Maybe he was related to the uh, uncle in Lost City who had a heart attack. <laughs> uh, Coleman uh, is like, okay, I don't really care. And then that guy has to leave. His name, by the way, this uh, Cuban exile mm-hmm. is Bailey Chastain. Chastain, yes. Yeah, um, and he's like the only slightly likable character. And that's oh, yeah. Grading he, on a high curve. Okay, so then there's a training scene in which Coleman conveniently is out of shot during any physical exercise right. depicted. I suppose we're to assume that he, he's been doing these exercises. He aced it immediately. Yeah, we just haven't seen it, but right. like, you, you know, he, he know he aced it, so why, why show it? This is not unlike late era Seagal to me, <laughs> where, you know, you, exactly. he looks authoritative, but he never actually does anything no. physical. Um, and of course, you know, he's the one half the time probably writing the script or directing yep. a scene. Um, yeah, then Coleman, uh, again, brutally assaults a guy who's playing dice. I don't know why that happens. I don't either. I don't know who that character is, why. Nope. like Was this a scene where he, ostensibly, he like knees the guy in the face? Yeah. But it really looks like he's just oh. stuffing his face into his balls. And everyone gets together in the training camp to see the plan of the Bay of Pigs, which is a piece of paper stuck to a tree. Right. Uh, it's like a piece of paper with like a little line on it. It's taped to a tree. Uh, they will apparently this crack team will, uh, which is again, I I don't think this really happened. Uh, I'm not saying the Bay of Pigs was a totally uh, airtight operation, but I don't think they literally told people in gas stations to come sign up from Arizona. Yeah. Just like, uh, you know, ex cons and uh, hobos like, come on. I don't think Cherokee Jack was involved in real life. (laughs) The boys depart on their boat in the wee hours. And as your, uh, colleague kevin murphy once said about uh coleman francis he tried to pass off lake mead as the caribbean sea right, right. uh and that's that's definitely what's happening here yeah. uh it it th- the next bit is the bay of pigs scene and it is just awful they sneak onto the island with ease and they see cast who i the guy who i'm assuming is fidel castro because fidel was on the beaches i have a little uh, trivia here it's oh, one great. of the two guys one of the two guys who's his colleagues is also playing Castro. That's Anthony Cardoza. That's Cardoza playing yeah. Castro. Okay, so that's supposed to be Fidel Landis Castro. slash Fidel Castro. Well, I mean, endlessly talented. Yeah. Uh, so, when I, and when I saw their Castro, I did laugh out loud. He looks like <laughs> Rasputin. Right. Like, it's like a Herblock caricature yeah. from that period. <laughs> it, it, it's, it looks comical. Fat and cigar. Yeah. Yeah. And so, uh, Castro goes into some shed. And, uh, which is probably the only like interior beach location they had, uh, these scenes on the beachhead make Cuba crossing, AKA sweet dirty Tony look like Dunkirk. Yeah. We were laughing at the the shitty scene, the opening of Cuba crossing, but that looks amazing compared to the Coleman Francis. Yeah. I mean, it's a bunch of guys like they're supposed to be scaling the cliffs. Yep. And not a single one of them looks capable of scaling, like, you know, their their couch. And when you're leading with Coleman. And Coleman, <laughs> Coleman looks like every then step everyone, everyone else is has an to, incipient heart attack. Everyone else, because he has to be the, 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 the leader, so everyone else has to run as slowly as him yeah. behind him. So then everyone's just kind of like wobbling Waddling forward. Wobbling and trudging. On the narrative or character level, we're watching our deeply unlikable 
protagonist. Loathsome. Just loathsome in every way. Partake in a low-budget reenactment of an already failed and embarrassing invasion. You're just staring at the screen like, what is here for me to enjoy or feel excited by or root for or whatever? It's Coleman and co are put in a shed as another shed as prisoners. He takes out a gun. um, So, you know, he's like going to try to get out. He had it in his like shoe or he had it in his shoe, which, yeah, why why would they check? Under his balls. Yeah, just in one of his folds. Uh, (laughs) The invaders outside are getting executed. Of course, we don't see any of that. Uh, Well, I think we hear the invasion happen where it's like pew, pew, pew. And it's just a shot of fucking Coleman Francis's face. Just like him hearing it. Yeah. And you're just, they can't even like cut to foot, cut to archival. Which would look not great, but it's just you're in the shed. The classic padding out stuff. They they don't even take advantage of that. No, they do not. Uh, and then the prisoners are getting executed, and the voice and calling, they do show that pretty. They show yeah. that, and I don't think that's archival footage. I think that's no, like no, no, shots. And they're in the and they're in the shed there, and mm-hmm. doesn't somebody have a piece of stolen or concealed art? A very puzzling little plot detail. I, don't think, I think I might have checked okay, out. Okay, you might have. But, um, but the guy, the, the likable guy is The likable guy uh, is there, but his leg is all busted up, so he can't move. Right, he wants a medic, and then Coleman Francis goes, shut up, no one's gonna be your, no one, there's no doctor here. Yeah. And it's just, he doesn't even go like, hey, get this man a doctor. He just tells the guy to stop asking for right. one. Right, they, but they know that they're, you know, like, their number's gonna come up soon. They're gonna right. be shot. Right. And so the brilliant plan is that he's gonna hit the guard or snap his neck. I snap think his neck. Says. Just a very easy thing to do. And again, this is very Seagal, because it's like, yeah. oh, that sounds pretty risky, but look at this guy. Coleman Francis can make that happen. I know. He can He can overwhelm any man. I mean, not to really get too uh, in the weeds here, they break out. Well, the the yeah, I just got to say, this line was the one that I remember haunting people oh. around that. <laughs> Mystery Science Theater writing room, which is somebody calling constantly for the guy with the broken leg to get water. Because he was getting gangrene. Like, right, so right. I got sick man, water, water sick, yep. fever needs, thirsty. Like, yes. over and over again. God. Sentry. Water. Man got a fever. Just a cupful. Water. Thirsty. Sick man. Ask him again. And finally, Coleman's plan is to get the guy with the water close enough to the window and he can just be there and he can reach out and snap the guy's neck like a twig. And is that what happens? It does, yeah. Well... Good plan. Obviously. And then they go. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot about the water. It's like, yeah. it's like listening to the revolution number nine. It's like experimental <laughs> yeah, yeah. music. Yeah. So then they take advantage of their fallen comrade who they do not attempt to save whatsoever. Yeah, thanks a lot, man. Bye. Okay. Bye. We snapped a guy's neck. Uh, and he's pleading with them to come. Oh, and crucially, he says, look, if you take me with you, I have a share in a mine oh, back in God. the Southwest. We'll get to this. And it is what kind of line? Like, it's like some, I don't know. Mineral. Some kind of mineral or yeah. ore, yeah. And so I'll, I'll cut you in if you just save me. And they're yep. like, fuck you, no. Nope. But they may be visiting that mine, however, even though they don't save him. Uh, so they escape. You're pretty much prepared for the movie to be over, honestly. Very, very prepared. Uh, not only because it's, I mean, obviously because it's horrible and feels twice as long as it is, but because it's kind of, it should be over. You had the criminals. It's a very shitty three kings, basically. Yeah, yeah. You had criminal, you had guys who were supposed to be fighting a war, but they're actually criminals. And then they go and then they escape. 
that that's yeah. time to end the movie. It's like two thirds over. We're not even like really close to the end because then what happens? I was sitting aghast as they opened up a whole new plot front here. Really? Yeah. Like, and it, they, they make their way back to the Southwest. They're back to Arizona where they started. It just from. happens to be where Coleman Francis uh, hangs out. Um, and they seek out the presumed widow of the guy Chastain, Chastain. the young, nice guy Chastain. With, with the broken leg. And they find her and he's, and they're like, yeah, we fought with your husband. He's dead. And, oh, wait, I, I got to say this. And it's, oh, no, no. Yeah. Yeah. You're, you can talk about the horrible, the really horrible part. The right? really horrible part before that is that they steal a car. Our heroes do this. Our heroes from an old man, really old man who is already like the book of Job. Like he's he saying, is. nobody comes to the store anymore. This is a super <laughs> yes. highway. And I'm trying to take care of my blind daughter. He has a blind widowed daughter i believe yeah and she's singing like opera and it's just so it's such a pathetic gothic situation right and you know i don't want to belabor it because it's a real actually traumatic scene where they horrible throw the old man in a well and he's dead of course well they Um, throw him in alive is the other thing yeah they throw him in alive they take a living man and while he's screaming for help it's not shot very well i can't say it evokes a lot of emotion because you don't know exactly what's happening but it's clear they throw him down a fucking well. A long well. So he's he's presumed dead. And then Coleman Fra- Francis just goes back and rapes the daughter. He he just inexplicably goes inside and she's playing piano and then he rapes her. And, and it's just And this is the hideous. hero of the film. And if you would say, well, actually, he's not the hero. It's Tony Cardoza and the other guy. It's like, well, they also killed the guy. Yeah, they helped kill the old murder man. murder an innocent old man who you is the first person you're like, oh, this is a kindly old person. And so at this point, this is the nihilism you're talking about. Yeah. This is, what is this about? It's a moral who, disaster. Who is it for? Why do we want that? And so then um, then they get to the widow's yes, house. Yes, I, I got ahead of myself. And then, you know, you're thinking, after seeing this, and it's like a... A kind of attractive young widow, and yes. she's like, "Oh, my husband's friends come in, and I'll put you up for the night, and then we'll go up to the mine and we'll work it." Like she falls in really quickly. Yes, with this plan. Yes. Uh, also, um, Coleman turns on one of his two friends and like starts to beat him up as the other watches, smiling. Yeah. yeah. This is because he wants the guy's ring that he's wearing. Oh yeah. Just- uh, uh, so. Maybe it's tie-in. It's like a college ring or a school ring, he's gonna, and he thinks it's he thinks it's valuable. He wants it to ring, and I don't and I don't know why. In the moment, I I, I don't know why. And I thought, is this like a Lord of the Rings? Is this explaining why he's so <laughs> evil? Is because he's obsessed nope. with the One Ring? It's just larcenous and a and a murderous. He's just fuck. a piece of shit. But then they, I think they pawn that yeah. to get some fucking car to go to a train, etc. So then, yes, th- but then they're with, with the widow put fleecing the widow. this this widow. There's oddly these lighthearted scenes with seaberg music yeah. that are happening where after after everything we've seen this monstrous slob do we're like getting this little ho 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 they're trying to buy something but he doesn't want to go inside and he's waiting for them out of out of mood and and atmosphere the police catch up with them yeah uh, this is before they can scam and probably murder this widow. Yeah, they're on their way up to the mine, and they <laughs> like the car breaks down and it runs out of gas, and so runs out of gas. And the sugar mill guy around this time, uh, Chastain, who we thought was dead, shows yeah. up 
We, no explanation for how he got Why out of there. Why well, didn't he get the firing squad? Like, yeah. what happened to his broken his leg? His leg should be gangrenous. Yeah, it's like attached. a day after they got there, too, and he's okay. Coleman immediately shoots the wife. Right! Turns around and shoots the Dude, wife. And, and for a second, I'm like, oh, somehow something bad happened and the wife got shot. It couldn't. He, and then it's just, no, he oh, shot he her. He just fucking shot her. Uh, he presumes her dead. Um, uh, she's unarmed, obviously. Uh, and then he makes a run for it. Chastain collects his wife off the ground. She seems like she'll live. She seems like it. Yeah. She but, opens her eyes. But maybe not. Really? I mean, who knows? And then. Tony and who the fuck the, the two other guys are taken in by the They're police yep. and then Coleman mercifully is gunned down yeah. by a helicopter, which is what happens in his other two movies. Yeah. He, he does have a fetish. He has a fetish or flying craft of any kind. Yes. Skydivers. Well, while this is uh, the, the soundtrack to this is a jazz version of night train to Mundo Fine. Yeah. It's like a kind of, and then shooting down yeah. Coleman Francis. Yeah, and he, and I, I could have used some more saxophone. In my opinion, <laughs> but, uh, then this is uh, the way you go out into Coleman Francis movie. Even if you are a Coleman Francis and, and uh, the movie's over. Yeah. And everyone goes, wow, what an asshole. And We've learned nothing. We feel bad. Everything sucks. I hate movies. So thank God we're done with that one. And now to borrow from the professionals, uh, best of the worst. What do we think here? Uh, it's, a, it's a little tricky, but Bill, what would you say of the three movies we watched was, we, we know which one was the worst Yeah, on, 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 on every level, but Cannot w- w- which would you that. say is the best of the worst of these Cuba stinkers? The tricky part to me is that there are parts of uh, Andy Garcia's opus that look pretty good, mm-hmm. um, but really it's, it's, it made me want to die by the end. It was so long. So I got to give the, uh, the, the best of the worst to uh, Cuba Crossing. I'm tempted to agree with you, and I, I, I will say in agreement with you that you know, I would never want to watch it again, but, but you know, Lost City, I, I do want to state, he's never going to hear this, so it doesn't matter. Right. It did make me sad when I saw when, how much the movie meant to Andy Garcia. I agree. The movie meant a lot to him, and it just doesn't have the goods. I think it would have benefited from uh, a more, a, a rather, a less ambitious you know, uh, approach. That's a very compassionate way of putting it because I'm trying to be compassionate. Well, I know. I mean, and that's, that was how I was torn too, because I feel like, God, this is so deeply personal to this guy. Yeah. This actor I've loved, you know, th- for decades now. Yeah. I mean, the untouchables. Yeah. Such, uh, but maybe his character in oceans 11 is the casino owner is his character <laughs> in the lost city. I, I like didn't even think about that. Bringing it together. Then a bunch be- of like Terry Benedict, a bunch of joking up monkeys, take him yeah. down. Hey, and then there's the Soderbergh connection because he did the Che movie, yeah, and he did Ocean's Eleven with, with Clooney. It's all coming together, man. Uh, but but yes, I would say Cuba Crossing because it is it is fun. I think it could be like a midnight movie. Uh, you can talk over it. You don't need to fucking worry about what's happening in you it. You get to see uh, Frankie Pantangeli give an utterly scene chewing, yes. revolting performance. Yeah, he looks like a kind of really gnarly version of like old Burt 
Burt Young. Yeah, you he, know, he really looks like he was on the downward slope here. And, and you got some some classic actors. You got Vaughn. You've got Whitman. And Absolutely. if you if you do have the ability to see it, I had to find a fucking Blu-ray rip, which was in terrible condition. <laughs> Did you notice as you're watching it, there's yeah. bits where it's like washed out. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, but that's kind of charming too. So I don't know. Maybe we can we, we can say if anyone runs a theater, uh, kind of like you know a Nighthawk or Alamo situation, try to find a canister with uh, Cuba Crossing on it, or more importantly, try to find one that says "Sweet Dirty Tony." Sweet Dirty Tony. Because I, you think that maybe there's even another scene or two in Sweet Dirty Tony that wasn't in Cuba Crossing. Yeah, because I mean they don't show him particularly sweet. I mean, and little dirty, dirty though. A little dirty, I guess. Yeah, he fucks around. Finds um, out. And he finds out. <laughs> <laughs> That's the most important thing with Cuba. But, uh, Bill, thank you for subjecting yourself to uh, at least two very not good movies and then a very poorly made three three very not good movies three I'm, just gonna, I'm gonna make the call no no they're three stinkers <laughs> but we couldn't have had a better guest on to walk through those it was really and, fun Thanks. and who knows what we'll do next season or, or a season after that but um if you if you can take it we'd love to have you back it would be it would be a pleasure i'm a big fan of blowback by the way oh, i love both seasons uh and bill is there anything you would like to plug Oh, I have a little podcast of my own right now, and Please it's it's about uh, it's about the world of Tolkien. Believe it or not, I, I'm like late in life nerd thing. Um, You're not an original head, no, not at all. And um, it's on the 20th anniversary of of you know the Peter Jackson movies this right. year, right? So we're doing like a, an analysis. Me and my partner Sean Thomason from Rift Tracks, okay, got into a little it a little bit more during the pandemic, and we sort of drove each other crazy going i dare you to read the silmarillion right so it's like a not very reverent look at it okay. but it's it's fun and, and you're both fresh or is he more experienced he is it? more experienced he's a little deeper nerd than me um um but I do like the movies in spite of all the misgivings. And so we're going through them in detail and nerding out and, and mostly joking around. What's it called? It's called uh, Ringheads. And Ringheads. it's just going to be this year. Okay. I'm done with Tolkien after this year. That's a vein that you need to eventually let alone. Hell yes. Where can people listen to it? Pretty much anywhere, although we're having a trouble with Apple Podcasts right now because of their revamping the whole thing. But oh, okay. we're on Patreon, too. Okay. Uh, haven't really thrown it out there in the world much because I hate doing PR. But is it on, in other words, like Spotify? Or yeah, it's Apple on Spotify. Podcasts. It's on Pocket Cast. It's okay. on a couple of others. All right, you, well, you can anywhere, find anywhere people get their podcasts. Close uh, to that. Close to that. <laughs> and uh, hopefully more soon. Can get ringheads. And of course, uh, we would love it if you kept listening to Blowback Bill. Thanks again for coming on. My pleasure. Thanks, Brendan. Bye, everybody.